0: There's really nothing so woo-woo about this topic. In fact, it's the most everyday experience there is. Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. I'm talking this week about one of my favorite topics, clarifying intuition. But first... I need to devote some attention to the vocational aspect of my life to support me in this avocation. You may already know that I'm available as a licensed professional counselor in Tennessee and Mississippi. I've worked as a master's level therapist since 2007, and I have extensive experience helping people to heal from trauma or to move through loss and change and I've worked well with people who deal with a wide range of diagnoses. For decades, I've supported people coming out of addiction and also their parents, adult children, or significant others. Some of these were part of 12-step communities, some were part of Buddhist recovery communities, and others found other circles of support. Generally, my counseling sessions for people in Tennessee and Mississippi are $125 for a 50-minute hour. But sometimes people are not so much dealing with mental health issues, but with a universal hunger for meaning and peace of mind. As an ordained minister of the Embracing Simplicity Contemplative Order, I also offer contemplative spiritual direction no matter where you live. I've learned and practiced in both Christian and Buddhist contemplative circles, as well as learning from those engaged in what they call secular mindfulness. In this aspect of my practice, I've worked with a lot of professionals who were seeking more balance and peace of mind, as well as generally healthy people who needed tools and support for making big decisions. Many people right now are seeking ways to put their concern for the world into action in their own lives, and we can work with that topic too. Spiritual direction sessions can be 30 minutes for $80 or 50 minutes for $125. I should also mention that when you approach me about spiritual direction, I'll have you do some simple assessments to clarify that this is appropriate. If after doing that, I find that what you need is counseling and you don't happen to live in Tennessee or Mississippi, I have a whole network of people that can help us identify a licensed counselor for you to work with in your own home state. Many of my clients have been surprised by how much they like utilizing video sessions. I have a safe, confidential platform for doing just that. But I also have office hours on Fridays in Oxford, Mississippi, if you live nearby and want that option. Of course, I'm always happy to receive questions or ideas via this podcast or through email or through our website at deepsouthdharma.org. I can spend a few minutes replying or even include the topics you bring up in future podcasts or articles, and I want to hear from you for sure. But if you want significant time with me for individual spiritual direction that goes beyond an email or a 15-minute consultation, or if you're in Tennessee or Mississippi and need some counseling, that's when you want to utilize my vocational practice, Paucity Counseling and Direction. The website for the sake of brevity is PaucityCounseling.com, which is P-A-S-S-A-T-I-Counseling with one L dot com. I'm happy to help. Okay, so you've heard my professional commercial, or or rather I should say, my commercial about my profession that would be more like it. (laughs) Now, on to our Deep South Dharma topic for this week, Clarifying Intuition. I wanted to talk today about clarifying intuition, acknowledging that sometimes when we hear the word intuition, it can give the impression that we're talking about something otherworldly or woo woo. There's really nothing so woo woo about this topic. In fact, it's the most everyday experience there is. Our capacity for intuition is, in my way of thinking, sort of the sunny side. Of dealing with this form that we're in that is so susceptible to input through all of our senses, including the sense of thought. When I'm speaking of intuition I'm not speaking of fortune-telling, although we sometimes can experience that intuitive flash-forward that gives us a vision of what we might want to move toward or away from. Um, this sort of deep um, synthesis of everything we've taken in and and the actions that we know we're taking and, and being able to intuitively sense where this is headed. Intuition is about recognizing the difference between reality and our preferences and staying in the place of awareness itself to discern what thoughts, words, or actions are useful or not. When intuition is developed, we can have the experience more often of feeling that the right thing seems to happen almost as if by itself. We're just cooperating or sometimes just staying out of the way. Our, um, excuse me, our capacity for intuition is closely related to perception. It's not exactly the same thing, but there is a lot of overlap. When I think of it, I know perception has this aspect of naming or interpreting things based on memory, on experience, whether accurately or not. I think intuition uses perception, but is not limited to perception in terms of memory when gathering information about what's happening and what may be a wise response. When we talk about clarifying intuition we do need to address what helps us clear our perception so that we're seeing reality more accurately. So we're getting better input into the system. Now, I will also say there's a baseline of mental health required for beginning to clarify our approach to reality. The brain needs to be functioning in service of Uh, taking care of this body, mind, and heart, we need to be able to identify a shared reality with other people. And if we have unprocessed trauma that gets activated by certain situations, the fact is that until the brain has been allowed to digest those events so that they more are clearly registered as experiences of the past, merely memory, no longer harmful, some of our perceptions will be skewed. But even when we are enjoying good mental health in conventional terms, we can be out of tune with reality. The Dharma offers us some practices and teachings that help clarify our intuition based in a more accurate perception of what really happens moment to moment. And that's what this talk is about. One resource is the practice of the five precepts laid out by the Buddha, and undertaken by lay people, those of us who are not monastics, not monks or nuns. These are commonly understood as practices of abstinence. I think it's really useful to consider also these practices are resources for clarifying our vision. So just a quick review of these, and then I'll say more about what I mean by that. The first precept we undertake is not to kill living beings. The second, to undertake non-stealing. And it's useful to think of this term not only about not stealing material items or money, but also not stealing attention or time through manipulation or bullying. The third precept is the abstention of causing harm with our sexuality Lay people who are very devout may choose to engage in sexual conduct, but there are the obvious restrictions from using sexual energy toward children or others who cannot consent, as well as not contributing to harm in anyone else's relationships due to our sexual contact, or for that matter, even the non-physical use of our sexual energy through emotional affairs and such. The fourth precept has to do with refraining from harm using our tremendous power of communication. So this would include refraining from malicious gossip, harsh speech, name-calling, that kind of thing, as well as manipulating other people's relationship to reality through lying. The fourth precept also has to do with abstaining from excessive speech That kind of speech that is not about communing with another through communication, but is just sort of this more self-centered release of internal pressure of anxiety through spouting verbiage. And then there is the fifth precept, the commitment to be fully present for the experience of life by abstaining from substances or activities or mental processes That cloud the mind or lead to heedlessness. Now, in some ways, that fifth precept may seem to be the most obvious one for unclouding our perceptions, so I won't say too much about it here other than to say it is useful to identify in what way the fifth precept applies to us individually. Some of us may have no particular interest in alcohol and drugs, so we may think that that means the fifth fifth precept is just sort of a, a given for us, that it's easy for us to keep. However, for those of us where that's the case, it is likely that we have other more socially acceptable forms of intoxication that may be overworking or needless shopping or just being absent from life through technology. So any of those things can interfere with our awareness in an intoxicating fashion. We can make radical upgrades in our ability to read situations and choose wise responses in a more intuitive fashion by abstaining from those things. And actually... The other precepts really address different types and degrees of intoxicants, don't they? When one is dedicated to these other four precepts, you start to become aware of ways that killing, stealing, obsessive sexual behavior, and compulsive talking keep you from seeing things as they really are, keep you from knowing your own life intimately. But I want to take a moment to acknowledge how much interaction there is between all of these precepts. For instance, much of the fifth precept, which encourages us to be mindful about our consumption, is made more complicated in our culture because the use of sexual energy is so entwined with advertising, making it challenging both to deal with the sexual energy and the tendencies to overconsumption. If you spend a lot of time with commercial media of any type, you get the impression that it's really important to always buy uh, new things, new clothing, new cars, or other things that you think might attract those that you're attracted to, or to buy the new diet plan or the new gym membership. So in some ways, this makes things more complicated, but then in other ways, it can simplify when we realize how these precepts are really sort of woven together. If we take just one precept and work with it as fully as we can, we'll start to see places due to polishing our perceptual lens, so to speak. We end up addressing other precepts in the process or seeing which one which one may need work next. For instance, it can be really useful for lay people to experiment with periods of time devoted to celibacy, just to experience what life is like when you're not in pursuit of sexual contact, sexual attention, or sexual approval, or a sense of obligation even, as it shows up in our culture on a continuous basis. And this is not at all to develop a sense of aversion or judgment or puritanism around sexual contact. It's just that when we give ourselves the opportunity to abstain from something completely for a while, we can see its effect on our lives much more clearly. We see just how much of our time, physical energy, mental energy, even our money, all that preoccupation can be freed up by letting go of this for just a while. I'm remembering a really moving conversation I had about 10 years ago with a 30-something-year-old woman who was in treatment for alcoholism. This was when I was clinical coordinator in the women's program at Cumberland Heights in Nashville years ago. And this client there had this really striking recognition um, that as long as she was in the building where we held the groups in the women's program, and she was surrounded with the other women who were in treatment and the other women on staff. She noticed, actually, that she was fairly at ease, or at least as much as someone can be at ease in treatment. Um, But meaning she felt more authentic, more prone to speak her mind, more prone to laugh out loud, um, and, of course, felt free to cry when her system needed that. But the moment that it was time for her to walk out of that building and cross the courtyard to reach the medical building or the building where her lodging was, she said as soon as she would cross that doorway, she would have this experience as if the lights were on her and she were stepping out on a runway, whether there was anybody looking at her or not. She just said all of a sudden there would be this constricting self-consciousness, and her attention then became focused on being pleasing. So in her case, it was being pleasing toward the opposite sex. During those moments, she became aware of losing touch with that fledgling intuitive sense that had begun to grow and strengthen in her recovery. So even having just a short time for being in a situation where she had large portions of the day, free from concern about trading sexual energy with the men that were somewhere else on campus, she got a chance to see how much difference it made. She really got to experience that freedom from being completely consumed with gaining that attention or with being pleasing, as it was as if once she stepped in that courtyard, the attention was there whether she wanted it or not. It gave her a chance to see the value of continuing to enjoy the support of other women in community, where she could continue to practice with being herself more fully. So that when she did choose to engage with men at a later point in her recovery, It might be from a place that felt more authentic to her. She received this gift of insight about her conditioning around sexuality almost incidentally during a time when she had put herself in an environment to work on the fifth precept. But you don't have to commit yourself to an inpatient stay somewhere to investigate this for yourself you can utilize the support of trusted spiritual friends to undertake an experiment. Maybe you want to give yourself 28 or 30-day free of concerns about sexual activity. Or maybe for you, the most interesting and impactful practice right now would be to make a deliberate point to kill no living creature for a month. Going to the extremes of, you know, taking spiders outdoors, going out of your way to avoid stepping on ants, whatever to you may seem extreme about that, just practicing that very first precept as thoroughly as you can. As this woman's example shows up or shows us, you never know what you might discover about where your energy is going. Undertaking a precept very deliberately for a time, we can sort of get this sense that it, It sort of lifts this veil of intoxication and preoccupation that can keep us from being focused on what really matters to us and can help us see how is it that we want to spend the gift of this lifetime and what we really want this life to be about, all of which allows us to see more clearly. So... There is the utilization of the precepts to help us clarify our perception and improve our intuition. And then there's another practice that most of us are familiar with. I don't know if it began with the Buddha, but it certainly was present in the Buddhist tradition 2,600 years ago and continues into this day and also shows up in other traditions. And this is the practice of what we might call confession, or we may just call it sharing with others sharing with our peers the struggles we've had, errors that we've made, and then going beyond that to make restitution for those wherever we can. One of the most important aspects of sharing our struggles and mistakes with other people is the clarification we get that these mistakes are not self. They are not personal, as in not particularly unique to us. When we have that experience, of sharing our struggles, especially when we can share with those who are trying to live along similar values or guidelines. And if we choose wisely those people who are being honest with themselves, we can have that experience of knowing that we're not alone. As long as we stay isolated with our mistakes or with the concerns that trouble us, It's like having paint thrown across our windshield when driving a car. We can't see anything else. We can't think about anything else, even when we're trying to have meaningful encounters with other people or even just trying to be present to our own lives in the moment. We can't. That thing is always in front of our faces. So it's really hard to overstate how important this practice of confession is. And, of course, there doesn't have to be a lot of ritual around it. But if you do find ritual useful as a way to sort of stay up to date with yourself, that's a valuable thing. And then, of course, the act of making restitution where possible. This is where we can begin to gain a sense of self-respect. You know, in the worldly view of things, and in the, by worldly, I mean the conditioned view, our sort of Western competitive culture. Having to admit that we're struggling with something or that we've made a mistake is viewed as a loss of face, as an embarrassment or humiliation. But in reality, telling the truth and making deliberate efforts to bring our actions back into line with our values is the opposite of losing face. It is how we gain our dignity back, or at least begin to gain it. Now, all of these things, living in ways we don't have to be ashamed of, correcting errors, making restitution, healing relationships where we can, all of that begins to make it a lot easier to be with what's really happening on a regular basis. It makes it a lot easier to sit with ourselves and experience how this mind-body-heart system processes what we come in contact with. That process is what we call meditation. And regular meditation, practiced consistently, not necessarily daily, but consistently, is a really powerful means for developing our intuition over a period of time. Usually not in the way that the untrained conditioned mind thinks of it. It's not that we're trying to sit there and sort of receive messages from outer space. It's more that from daily embodied practice of present moment investigation, we become intimately familiar with what it feels like, what it feels like in our bodies when we are encountering a thought that is true and when we are encountering one that is not true. This is a big part of how we improve our intuition. And like one of my teachers, Chris McKenna, talks about, there's definitely a trial and error aspect to this. But there are certain things that we can recognize in the difference between beneficial intuitive response versus a conditioned response. With rare exceptions, the intuitive response is not an emergency. Conditioned responses often feel very urgent, right? We feel like we need to jump on and send somebody that text or that email and tell them what we think about this or that. But actually, if there's a strong sense of urgency to it, it's likely not coming from a place of clear intuition or even clear perception. Because, I mean, if something were a true emergency, you'd make a phone call to 911 or something of that nature. Right? Baring, uh, but barring that type of situation, urgency is usually an intu- indicator that the intu- intuition is clouded. It doesn't mean you're wrong, but it may mean that you need to wait until the sense of urgency settles so that you can see clearly what does need to be done or undone or said or not said or it may more clearly help you see the correct time, the most useful, skillful time. And one last thing I want to mention. The Buddha taught about four basic misperceptions that interfere with our ability to see life clearly, which means we have a lot more suffering in navigating life. We're going to be exploring these things the Buddha called the four hallucinations of perception in my retreat with Flowering Lotus in March. For now, I'll just mention that with regular practice of mindfulness, we start to experience at a perceptual body level, not just intellectually, how things really are, so that we suffer much less when life does what life does. I hope you're experiencing some curiosity about where you might benefit from focusing in your practice. While regular meditation exponentially improves intuition, it's not the only thing involved. These other practices I mentioned earlier make meditation more easeful and and also these other practices become easier when supported by regular meditation. It's a sort of a very positive spiral. The increase in intuitive wisdom is a sort of synergistic result of all of this. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle.